So we're in this sermon series we're calling Very Good. Uh, and you'll remember that it, it kind of flows out of my own kind of figuring out that I've been telling the story of God wrong uh, all of my life. This is kind of embarrassing. All of my life, I've started the story of God in Genesis chapter 2 with the fall of humanity. Uh, and a theologian friend kind of corrected me with that and said, you're doing it wrong. I'm like, I'm not doing it wrong, you know. And, Oh, like you wouldn't do that too, you know? <laughs> and, so, and so they said, really, you know, God started with Genesis 1. Maybe you should try doing it like God does it. Really hard to argue with that logic, you know? So I looked at Genesis 1, and Genesis 1 is all about the creation, and God creates and says it's good, and creates, and it's good, and it's good. He gets to the very end, and he said, it's very good. And that's the life that God intended for us to have, the very good life. And I know in our culture, when I use the words good life, it, it kind of taps into to the, kind of the media idea of, of wealth and money and, and power. And that, that's not what the, the very good life that God is talking about at all. The very good life is all about love for God and love for one another and living a meaningful, fulfilling life of connection uh, and love. And so that's what we've been talking about because everyone wants to live the very good life. Amen? That, that we, want, we want to be a, a part of that. And so Next three Sundays, we're going to kind of get real practical uh, about this. And so this, this is kind of the way I think about these next three Sundays. Uh, it's the very good life, some assembly required. I don't know about you, but those words, some assembly required, are terrifying for me. If I bought something, I bring it home, and it says some assembly required, it's like, oh, no, you know, how are you going to do this? Because I'm not really good with wrenches and screwdrivers and all, all of that stuff. And when I, when I put things together, there's either parts left over or not enough parts or something, I don't know. And, and so it just, it, it's just scary for me. Uh, but but the, the reality is being a follower of Jesus is a some assembly required kind of operation. Sometimes we hear people kind of talk about, about being Christians, and, and it's like you kind of pray a prayer, and, and then you're done, almost like it's magic, and God zaps you. But, but Jesus hardly ever said, hey, get saved. What he said over and over again was, come and follow me. And, and that's really a, an invitation to a lifetime of some assembly required in our lives and, and growth in him. And so um, it, we want to kind of talk about that over the next three Sundays. Um, and so here, here's what I know about this. Um, the very good life is not a place you arrive at. It's a way of living. The very good life is not a place you arrive at. It's a way of living in, in the world. Uh, and you guys actually, I think there's a, understand this already just based on your own lives. How many of you have taken a vacation to someplace you just really wanted to go to? Maybe you saved up and you went to, you know, someplace wild and crazy, you know? Most, if you've ever done that, you, you, this, you'll get this. So, like, imagine you, like, save up all your money so you could go to Paris and you just want to go to Paris. You want to see the Louvre. You want to do all those things. And you get there finally, you know, all the packing and preparation. And you arrive and you unpack everything in the hotel. And then you spend the whole rest of the week in the hotel. Not much of a vacation, right? It's not about arrival. It's about the journey. You ought to get out and go see the Louvre and go see the, the big tall building, you know, whatever that is. All that stuff, you know. Uh, what is that called? Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so the, the same is true with the Christian life. It's not just about getting saved. It's, a, it's about the journey and, and enjoying what God has. And so... Um, 
God really gives us three things uh, to guide us in these process. And over the next three Sundays, we're going to be talking uh, about these. The first one that we'll talk about today is a map, which is scripture. It's the map to the very good life. It's about how to live our lives the way he would have us to live. Uh, and then the second one is GPS, which I kind of call the Holy Spirit. And we'll have some fun uh, with, that, with that next week. Uh, and then the third one is traveling companions or the church, the body. We are meant to do this together, okay? You know, for a church on Sunday morning, that wasn't real good, okay? We are meant to do this together. There we go, yeah. We are, and it's why we push life groups so much, because God intended for us to do life uh, together. And so the next three weeks, we'll be talking about it. So let's, be, let's begin with some truth about this, uh, about the map. Um, and that is this, life is a journey, you better take a map, okay? How many of you know what this is? Yeah, all of you who are like older know what this is. Some of the younger ones are going, I have no idea what this. This is a map, a, a real map. And, and the, the tricky thing about this is that it comes all apart kind of like, like this. And then there, there's the United States. Hey, I got it right side up this time. There's the United States. And, and the, the really tricky part of this, you can never get it back folded up the way you put, you put it in there. In fact, I remember my mother being quite frustrated because my dad would open these up and then hand it to her to put away. And she's like, ah, you know. So I'm just going to put our, our, our map right down here. Um, but but, but that's, that's a map. And, um, and so maps are, are, are kind of important. I know the old younger generation, you don't use them very much. Uh, but I had one of those moments where I, I saw this get to the next generation. My, my son, uh, you guys know, took uh, his honeymoon uh, in, in Europe, and they, uh, they traveled around in, in Europe. That's uh, just kind of the way they are. They live real frugally, and they did everything really on the cheap. But at, at one point in the journey, they were trying to get to the place they were going to stay the next night, uh, and, and they got lost, uh, and they didn't have any phone service. They phoned the thing they did, and so they didn't have their GPS, right? So here's my millennial son with no phone service and lost, which is, is pretty much a disaster at, at that point. But he did something extraordinary. He actually went and found a paper map, and he opened it up and figured out where he was and where they wanted to go and how to get there, and he is no longer lost in Europe. It's great. I think I'm as proud about that as the fact that he graduated from college. I mean, it's like... <laughs> Wow, I didn't know you had that skill set in you, son. So, so that was pretty good. Um, so uh, the truth is this. Uh, scripture, uh, scripture is our roadmap to the very good life. It is, is the path. It, it guides us there. Uh, and it's the clearest way that God reveals himself to us. Uh, it, it's so important that we, we understand Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the next one we'll talk about. Uh, but we can misunderstand the Holy Spirit sometimes because... God doesn't have a communication problem, but sometimes I don't listen very well. Right, you're all going to leave me hanging there. I'll go, huh. <laughs> sometimes you don't listen well to the Holy Spirit either, okay, just to keep you informed about that, you know. And, and the community can be wrong, you know, all of that. But, but the Word of God is, is the most objective. It's the, it's the solidest in terms of that. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy um, Chapter uh, 3, uh, go ahead, if we could hit the slide there. It looks like we're going to have a little technical trouble here. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And before we get started in this, because this is going to talk about Scripture, I want to remind you that when, when these words were being written, when Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote these words, he's talking about the Old Testament, not the New Testament. 
Because the New Testament, as you know it today, didn't exist then. He was in the process of writing it. And so in this day and age, when sometimes the Old Testament kind of gets short shrift, I want you to understand that these words are written about Scripture. It certainly applies to the New Testament, but also to the Old Testament as well. It takes more understanding to understand the Old Testament, okay? Which is why I went to school forever and ever and ever. It's why my daughter did. It's why I encouraged her to push through a Master's of Divinity because she wants to be a senior pastor, and so she needs to know those things. But it is, it is Scripture. So, uh, second Timothy uh, says this, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed, that's an important word, and is useful for, here's what we use it for, teaching and rebuking. You ever had scripture rebuke you? I have. Correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, this is what it's used for, thoroughly equipped for every good Work. So let me walk down through this real quickly. The first thing is that Scripture is God-breathed. That is an amazing truth. Because there are only two things in all of the universe that are referred to as God-breathed. The first is humanity. You are God-breathed. You are created in the image of God. You bear the spirit of the living God in you. And the second one, yeah, amen. That was a good, I should have stopped right there. Let's try again. You bear the spirit of the living God in you. Amen. amen. And the second one is Scripture. Scripture is God-breathed. There's something about the living God that inhabits his word. There's something about that. It's different from all other kinds of literature because of the presence of God in it. And it's why we think it's so important that you understand, that you grasp it. There's something alive in the word of God in Scripture. Amen? Now, it's similar to all other literature in that it was written to specific people at a specific time and a specific language. And if you, if you want to interpret Scripture, you have to understand all of those things. You have to dig into that. Oh, learning Greek was a pain. You know, all of those sorts of things. If you want to do Old Testament, there's Hebrew, and there's all kinds of languages in that one. Uh, but but, but it was, it, it, God always speaks into culture, but it is the Spirit of the living God that speaks and preserves and brings us the Word of God. Amen? Okay, and then secondly, uh, it's uh, those thoroughly equipped. I love that because the word thoroughly equipped there actually means to fit together, to, to get it so it fits just exactly right. It's like, like when you're, you know, you're trying to, to work on a car. This is getting my thing. Some of you, how many of you are good at working on cars? Yeah, I shouldn't share this story, but okay. When I was in seminary, I was like really, really, really poor, and we had this old broken down yellow van, and the, 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 uh, the alternator kept going out on it, and because I had no money, I had to go buy the alternator and put it in myself. And what would be for you a couple of hours was a couple of days for me, right? And if anything can make a preacher swear, it's putting an alternator in an old car. I'm <laughs> telling you. Ah! But I remember that moment when I finally got in there and it all clicks and I turn the car on and it works. It's like, yay, you know? I know what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be that moment. Uh, and, and, and so that's what this word, this means it, it's, it, you are fitted together. You are fitted together to be the body of Christ, to be what Christ uh, would have you uh, to be. So um, all of that to say this, the purpose of Scripture is not to answer all of our questions, but to make us into who God intended us to be. Let me say this, this is important. The purpose of Scripture is not to answer all our questions. I have a long, long list of questions for God when I get to heaven, okay? But that's not the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of Scripture is to make you into who God intended you to be. This is super important because if you don't understand the purpose of the book, you'll never understand the meaning of the book, right? If you don't understand the purpose of something, it's not going to work very well. If you got to go plow a field and you hire a Corvette to do it, it ain't going to work so well. 
Okay? If you want to take a cross-country trip and you buy yourself a tractor to take a cross-country trip, it is going to be a miserable trip. Okay? But a, 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 a tractor in a field is a great thing, and a Corvette on a cross-country trip is, well, that's lots of tickets. But, but that would be a, what a way to go, you know, <laughs> with all of that. So uh, the, the purpose of Scripture is not to satisfy your curiosity. Okay? That, that is not why he's giving it. He form us into the image uh, of Christ. And so carry this a little further. Scripture is very clear about the things that matter. If it isn't clear, then it's probably not as important as you think it is. I want to know exactly how many angels were there at the resurrection. I think that's important. Apparently Jesus doesn't because it's not particularly clear. What is clear? Christ rose from the dead and the power of sin and death is broken. That's clear. Do you get me? Okay. So I, you can ask all kinds of questions about how many days did God create? How much? How did they get all those animals in the ark? How did they do that? Was it the whole world? Oh, you know, you just got a whole long list of questions and God doesn't even bother to answer a lot of them for you. How rude. One of the perks of being God is you don't have to answer all the questions, you know. But he did give us his word to bring us into intimate transformational relationship with him. Okay. Um, and then... There we go. The Bible, while requiring interpretation, is the most objective and clear revealer of God we have. Okay? And this is a really big deal, and for this reason, Scripture is the final authority on all things relating to spiritual life and practice. I want you to read this with me. Scripture is the final authority on all things relating to spiritual life and practice. And this is super, super important, okay? We do not believe Scripture is the final authority on everything. We do not want our Boeing engineers to start measuring airplanes in cubits. That would not be a good idea, okay? But matters of spiritual life and practice, it absolutely is. It's so important. It's how we get to the very good life. That's what it's intended to guide us to. And this is why all of doctrine has to be based on Scripture. I have lots of ideas about how the world should be, but if it's not based on Scripture, it doesn't become doctrine. Amen? You understand that? So I, I just want you to know, we take Scripture really, really, really seriously around here. It's a final authority on all things relating to spiritual life and practice. And I believe with all of my heart, spiritual life is the most important thing in the world because it's the only thing that lasts forever. All the rest of it is going to go away in some way, shape, or form. And so, um, so let's turn a corner here and let's talk about the work of God's Word uh, in the very good life, how, how Scripture works itself out in guiding us and directing us in the very good life. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, uh, and we're going to kind of look at that and, and walk through it. Hebrews 4.12 is where we're going to go. Uh, and the, the text says uh, this, for the Word of God is alive and active. God breathed. Alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Now that's really interesting. Think about this. We're talking about Scripture, and the writer to the Hebrews is comparing it to an instrument of war, to a double-edged sword. And we'll talk about that a little bit. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. I don't know that we even know how to do that today. Joints and marrow. It judges. Ooh, there's a tough word. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Do you notice that it doesn't say, you judge the people around you? It says, it judges you, and it judges your thoughts and your attitude. So let's, let's walk through this uh, a little bit. Let's first talk about the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God is always kind of a play in, in Greek uh, because we know that, that the Word of God is not the Bible. The Word of God is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen? 
Now, what gets confusing is there's one word in Greek uh, that, that refers to both Jesus and refers to like written word. It's logos. Say logos. Yeah. And so there's always this play in which it says that the Word of God, Scripture, is also Jesus. And, and what's been happening there is that the Word, the, script, the words written down reveal the one who is the Word. And I know in English that doesn't make a lot of sense, but in Greek it's, it's pretty cool. Just take my word for that. And then the second word there uh, is this word... Uh, let's, next slide, is the word alive. Uh, and you've heard me talk about this. This is the Greek word zoe, uh, and it's a word that refers to spiritual life. There are a number of words for life in Greek, but this is the one that refers to kind of eternal life. So the word, the word of God is, is about Jesus, and it is alive. Back to this God breathed. God breathed into it and made it alive. And then the, the second word there is active. Uh, and there's all kinds of active. And active in English doesn't necessarily mean the same as it did in the original language. I'm ADHD, okay? And throughout my educational career, I'm pretty sure I caused several teachers to retire over the years uh, because I just, I would sit there and I would be like this and I'd get up and I'd move around and I'd go over there and I'd sharpen my pencil. I love pencil sharpeners. And my pencil always needed to be sharpened because I was ADHD and I had to, and that was the one reason you could do that, you know? And I was just, I was going, I had all this motion going everywhere, but it didn't amount to anything other than just me moving around. That's almost the opposite of the word used for active here. The word used for active here almost is like a business plan. It's activity that is focused in a specific direction for a specific purpose, to accomplish something that matters. So the word of God is alive. It's filled with the spirit of God and it is active. God is on the move. God has a plan for your life. God has a direction for your life. God has got something going on in your life. Even if you don't think there's anything going on in your life, God has a plan. God's word is active in your life. Amen? Amen? Okay? So it's active. Uh, and then... Um, the next one is this double-edged sword, which is, which is really interesting. In the ancient world, the double-edged sword was probably the sharpest instrument they had because they didn't have a lot of metal. It was very, very expensive. Uh, peasants and the normal people wouldn't have anything like this. Uh, and so uh, when it talks about the, the, the being metal and, and double-edged, it's speaking to, uh, to the dangerousness of Scripture, okay? And, and we're going to talk about that. But I just want you to understand, uh, in the ancient world, a double-edged sword was probably the most dangerous thing that anyone uh, could have. Usually it was just soldiers uh, that would have these kinds of things. And then uh, the next part, the thoughts, uh, and this actually has to do with the brain, which means you need to have good theology. And I hope that you hear from this pulpit good theology every single Sunday. You need to think right about God. It's why you need to study God's Word. And then, you know, it would have been really great if the writer to the Hebrews had just left it right there. That would have been so good. But God always has to push it too far, have you noticed? He always has to get personal about it in some way. And so he goes on to this next one, and he talks about the attitudes of the heart, the motivation of the heart. You, you can hide your true motives from your boss or your coworkers. You can hide your true motives from your children. You can hide your true motives from your spouse even, although the longer you're married, the harder that is. But you can never hide your true motives from God. And that says that he, he knows. He knows. When you're, you're pretending like it's like one thing and you know it's another, God knows. God knows. God's word reveals that in, in our lives. You see, um, it's so important that we understand how this works. And so uh, I mean, let me say it like this. Scripture is holy. Use it with caution. Scripture is holy. Use it with caution. And, and that's where we come back to this double-edged sword. Now, how many of you have taught your children about sharp things in your house? 
Yeah, all of you did because you all have knives. I'm guessing all of you have some sort of knives, sharp things in your kitchen somewhere, right? You know? But in the ancient world, there was much less of that kind of a thing. And so the idea of sharp was, wasn't quite, I mean, there were sharp things, but there was nothing like a Roman double-edged sword. And so the idea here is that, that if, you, if you walked out and you, your kid had picked up a Roman double-edged sword, you'd be going, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. Don't do that. It's very, very, very dangerous. And it'd be like if you walked out and you saw your five-year-old with a loaded gun, right? Be, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, in the hands of a, an adult that's trained, it's perfectly fine, but you wouldn't let a little one. It, it, it's dangerous. And, and so the idea here is scripture is dangerous, not because he, God wants to get you, but because it's sacred and it's powerful and, it, and it's holy and you do not play with it. You listen to it. There's, there should not be a casualness about scripture. In fact, I'm increasingly concerned about people who kind of treat God's word like a book of magic, you know? If you just throw this verse at it and throw that verse at it this and, you know, and just do this and say these things and you, you'll get what you want. That is not the way it is. A few summers ago, I did a, a series on the Ten Commandments. We walked through all of them. How many of you remember what number three was? Oh, good, because I didn't either. I had to go back and see which one it was. <laughs> but number three says, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. I think this is the most misunderstood of all, the, all of the commandments because I, I was taught growing up that that means don't swear, right? Don't say those bad words. That's actually not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is misappropriating the name of God. In the ancient world, your name was your bond. Your, your name was your reputation. Your name was your, was your power. And often people who were important had seals. And so when something was sealed with their seal, it was by their authority that you did this. And the image here is that God has given us his name. Don't use his seal for vain things. Don't use his seal for things that don't matter. Certainly don't use his seal for deceptive things. Don't use his seal for anything other than reflects the heart of God and what God would be about. Name had authority. And scripture is God's. Use it the way God intended for us to use it. Amen? Don't trifle with it. Okay? Here's what I know, though. The good news is this. The more you conform your life to the proper teaching of Scripture, the more you will experience the very good life. This is the route to it. This is what he intends. And again, I'm not talking about wealth. I'm talking about a life that is satisfying, the life that he intended from the very beginning for us, a life that has meaning, a life that is connected to God and to, to one another. And this was, a, this was a game changer for me in so many ways because I just always thought Scripture and God was kind of always out to get me when I was growing up. I have a preacher friend that, that says it like this that is so good. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. Boy, that changes my understanding of religion. God doesn't want something from you. You grew up thinking, you know, God's going to get you. If you break this rule, it's an excuse for God to let you have it. You break that rule, ah, now I can get you. Oop, you didn't do this, so we're going to get you now. And then it says, God wanted something from me. But that's not what it is. God wants something for you. He wants life for you. The Bible is not a rule book. It's a roadmap to life in Christ. And like all good maps, it, it shows you where the dangers are, where the problems are, you know. Watch out for this. Watch out for that. It, it, it says things like don't steal. You are going to have a hard time living the very good life if you're stealing from all the people that matter in your life. That's just the truth, like it or not, okay? It also shows you where the good stuff is. Lo love your enemies. Forgive. Children are a priority. Work hard. Live with integrity. And this is what I know most about this. The more you know the map, the better the trip. 
The more you know the map, the word of God, the better the trip. And you all know this already. How many of you are going to have to turn on your GPS in order to find your way home today? Yeah, like zero of you. Why? Because you have a map in your head. You know the map very thoroughly between you here and your house. In fact, you know many, many alternate routes to get to your house. In fact, more than that, you know where the gas stations are. And most of all, because you're a part of our church, you know where the restaurants are, don't you? telling you. You have a map in your head. And the more you know God's Word, the more the map is in your head, the better it is for you. So let's uh, quickly, as we get close to wrapping up here, I want to kind of just give you, um, we get the next slide, uh, ways to become intimate uh, with, the, with the Scripture. Uh, together. And the first one is pretty simple. Uh, next slide. And it is uh, read it regularly. Uh, there is nothing like regular time in God's Word to help you grow. Okay, uh, and I just, I know that's old fashioned and it's out of style and all it takes time and all that, but I'm telling you, as someone who has done this as a lifelong discipline, there is no substitute for just reading God's Word. Get a modern translation, jump around, do all kinds of things. Don't read through the dimensions of the temple very many times. That's a once in a lifetime kind of thing, you know, but, but the rest of it, it, it's so good. And then uh, number two, uh, next one is listen to it regularly. Listen to it. Uh, I, I, my last several months of my uh, personal devotion life, I did uh, Luke Acts in, in Greek, which is like, oh, so slow and hard. And so I went all the way to the other end. Uh, BibleGateway.org uh, has it so you can press it, and it'll actually read the Scripture to you. And not in a mechanical voice. It's a professional actor reading it. And it is really powerful. I hear things that I didn't get before when I was digging in deep. There's something about just having it read that, that's really powerful. And it's easy for those of you that don't like reading. Turn it on and listen. Listen in the car on the way. Listen when you're working. Uh, whatever. Listen to it. And then uh, study it. Uh, dig in deep and learn God's Word. Again, the more you know, the better uh, it is for you. And then memorize it. I know this is old-fashioned uh, and hard, uh, but, but, you know, for some of you who are my age, like, memorize one verse in the next two months, okay? That's, that's not too much to ask, you know? And uh, your children will memorize 12 verses in that same sort of time. But the more you build it into you, the more powerful it is. And then lastly, uh, conform your life to it. It doesn't do you any good to have the road map if you don't follow it, okay? Conform your life to the revelation of God uh, in, in Scripture. And then next week, we're going to add the GPS part of it uh, with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I hope you'll come back for that. Uh, so now, uh, in these last few moments, and if our musicians can come in just a minute. Oops, went too far. Uh, we need to have a little bit of kind of a family meeting. If you're a guest, I apologize for this, uh, but... but well, you'll hear this in here in just a minute. Uh, and for upcoming health updates on, on me, I think I'm going to post them on the church's prayer page rather than the regular Facebook page just so, you know, it's not out there for everybody, you know. Um, so if you are not a part of, the, uh, of our prayer page, go to search Generations Community Church Prayer Requests. Ask to join and we'll, we'll buzz you in and you will get the updates uh, about my health as we, as we go forward. So... Uh, to my, my family at Generations Community, <clears throat> a few weeks ago I informed you that I have cancer. I told you then that the prognosis looked good, but that they still needed to identify the kind of sarcoma and the type of sarcoma would determine my treatment and prognosis. Last Monday we received the results of my biopsy. Sadly, I must tell you the news is not good. Not only do I have a particularly aggressive form of sarcoma, but it is also prone to metastasize, which means go other places, and return after the initial tumor is removed. I confess that this news was hard for us to hear. 
The diagnosis significantly reduces my long-term prognosis. However, they were very clear, and please hear me in this, they were treating me for cure, not just life extension. Let me say it again. They are treating me for cure, not just life extension. There remains a very good chance that I will live a long life. Let me say that again. There remains a very good chance that I will live a long life. However, in the short term especially, my capacity to pastor and lead our great church is going to be diminished. Because of the nature of my cancer and the desire to cure rather than just extend life, they are going to hit me very hard with chemo. I will have to be hospitalized a week at a time while receiving treatments and will be immunologically compromised. That's a hard word to say. Uh, between treatments, this could last all summer. In fact, it would be good if it lasts all summer. Um, I will then have radiation treatments that will last four to seven weeks, followed by surgery to remove the tumor. I will then probably have another three to six weeks of chemo. They have told us to block out the next nine months for treatment. My first round of chemo starts uh, this Thursday. Here's the plan. It may change based on treatments. They're anticipating that the chemo will hit me very hard, especially the further we get into the process. I am planning on preaching live as often as I am able. able. However, I will probably have to avoid personal contact as my immune system will be compromised. My plan is to retreat to my office before services, then step onto the platform to preach, then retreat to my office. I don't like this plan. But it seems to me the only way I can continue to preach in person. On the Sundays I'm not able to preach because of treatment, it is my plan to video record the sermon the week immediately before Sunday and play it during the preaching time. This will start next week, so come and check it out. I will, main contact, remain con I, I will maintain contact with the staff and leadership through video conferencing and phone calls. Additionally, there will be times when I will be able to be in the office. I also want you to know that if I'm unable to keep up with either my leadership or preaching duties, the elder board has put together a plan. God always brings good out of bad, and my difficulties are no exception. I believe with all of my heart that God will use the next nine months to grow me and us spiritually. I also believe that my suffering will open the door to minister to others who suffer. Who knows? It might even be that God will do great things in people's lives and in our church. I've told you before, God never wastes suffering. My suffering will not be the exception. I really am looking forward to what God will do through all of this. I've always said we are not the coolest church, but that our goal was to be the most Christ-like and most loving. Um, yeah, absolutely. I am confident God will make us more like Him and multiply our love in these days. I hope you will join me in this fight, this fight my first... I wrote that, so that's a bad sentence. I hope you will join me in this. Uh, first and foremost, praying not only for me, but for, those, uh, for all that suffer. Second, by sticking with us during this time. And third, how about stopping, stepping up and volunteering? Did I mention there's a volunteer fair after the service? <laughs> not above using that. <laughs> Some want to know how I'm doing. All things considered, I'm doing pretty good. There has been a fair amount of sadness and even some depression, yet God has been faithful. I have not been overwhelmed by it. My attitude is positive, and I really do believe God is going to bring good out of bad. At the end of every service, I say to you, God loves you. I love you. Go and love each other. I just want to say, I really, really mean those words. I love you. And I count it a huge privilege and honor to be your pastor. I anxiously look forward to a successful treatment and returning to full engagement in the thing I love so much, being your pastor. By his grace, the soon-to-be-bald Pastor Craig.
In fact, one of the good things that's coming out of the bad is I'm going to lose all of my hair, so I'm going to be bald, and they got to do a tattoo for the treatment, so I'm going to be a bald pastor with a tattoo. That makes me a cool pastor. <laughs> Finally arrived. <laughs> Let me pray for you, and then let's worship the Lord in giving together. Father God, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Father, that you bring good out of bad. Thank you, Father, that I am in your hand, and I trust you, Father. Be glorified in our church, Father. Bless this time of giving. Multiply it as you did fishes and loaves to your glory and honor. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to go off script for just a few minutes here. If our ushers will hold tight. Um, you love Pastor Craig, right, church? Yeah. Oh, we're going to pray for him, yes? So we want to do that right now. Um, Miss Jody, if you'll join your husband, and Pastor Sherwin, if you'll come, you and Miss Megan. Can I get our pastors and our staff to come, our elders to come? We're going to lay hands on Pastor Craig, and we're going to pray for him um, right now. And we're going to keep praying for him through this. So church, would you join us as well now? We've got staff coming and elders. Church, we want you to come lay hands on your pastor if you would like. So join us here, and let's pray for Pastor Craig. Father God, we come to you right now confessing that we don't like the news we just heard, Lord. But Jesus, we want to say thank you right now for Pastor Craig and the life that he's lived and the ministry that he's had and the lives that he's touched. And we're so thankful that we get to be family that's a part of that, God. I thank you for Jody and Kevin and Janda and their spouses, Kyle and Sierra, I thank you for the sacrifices that they've made as a family, God, to allow dad, husband, to be your servant, God. God, while we know that there are uncertain days ahead and there are going to be hard days ahead, we're going to rally with our pastor and we're going to say what he said. We're going to say we trust you, Lord. We trust you. We trust you. Jesus, I pray especially that you would put your hand on the medical team and the doctors and, and the nurses and all that would be caring for Pastor Craig in the coming months and, and, and all, all that goes into figuring out his treatment, God. I pray that your hand would be over that. We know, God, that you have good days ahead ordained for Pastor Craig, right? Lord, we trust that all the days that you have for his life are for good. And God, we anxiously await the good that's going to come out of this. God, as a church, I pray that you would rally us together and help us to lean on one another. Help us to know how to continue to pray and support Pastor Craig and Jody during this hard time, God. I pray that you would protect the staff of this church, God, that you would give the strength that's needed to the elders and the leadership and the deacons, God, that we would be able to lean on one another and continue the good work in the ministry that's happening here. And thank you, God, for each person in this place that calls generation your home. I pray that in this time, you would just continue to unite us, cover Pastor Craig, 
me to feel your presence and your touch today and this week. We trust you in this and in all things. In your precious, sweet name, 